The following study is a Wednesday night lesson given by Pastor Brett Metter at Athey Creek Christian Fellowship. All right. Well, we're glad you're joining us this evening. And, you know, uh, it is, I have to say, it's a little weird being in the sanctuary here all by myself. Uh, The building is no fun at all until the church is here. Uh, That's the truth of the matter. This building is just this big, empty warehouse uh, with nothing in it. Um, But I have to say, it gives my heart great joy to know you're all with me as the Holy Spirit's in your place, in your house, and uh, we're able to just open up our Bibles and search the Scriptures tonight. What a joy to be able to, uh, you know, look at what the Scriptures say. Now, um, I was looking at some of the news items, um, even of today, probably not a great idea. But um, I, the reason I bring this up is because you guys are all seeing the same, the same headlines as I am. You know, uh, let me just give you a few. Um, uh, Three billion people now down on lockdown. Three billion people in the world um, on lockdown. Patients charged with attempted murder for uh, failing to uh, self-isolate. Politicians jockeying for tests find proximity to president as fastest route. Um, (laughs) uh, Hospitals consider universal do not resuscitate orders. Interesting. Um, You know, governors say massive federal bailout will fall short. Um, economies already look totally different from pre-virus age. We're talking about different age now is what we're in. Um, you know, rural America, rural America watches pandemic erupt in cities as fear grows. Um, people could be charged to intentionally spread the virus, could be charged as terrorists now. Um, how government can track social media posts to enforce quarantines. Uh, supermarkets install protective barriers between staff and customers. That, that's not a bad idea. Um, (laughs) uh, Fired Americans send unemployment websites crashing today. Um, Will California look like Italy soon? Um, uh, Water and power will be shut off for businesses that don't close. Uh, Banks suspend uh, mortgage payments, uh, which that could be helpful for some. Um, um, Treasury, uh, it begins, Treasury, negative interest rates. Um, The mayor of New York says half of New Yorkers will get infected Morgues are right now near capacity. Uh, Congress hides a bailout bill from public. Uh, Sick troops are not being tested. Um, Chicago mayor warns those who go outside to exercise risk arrest. Can you imagine if I read these uh, headlines, um, uh, you know, even two, three months ago? You would have thought, oh, no, the world's coming to an end. (laughs) I mean, uh, morgues being filled to the brim, that's not a a great thing to talk about. Um, And and some people say, that's just, you know, some people want to say, I don't even want to hear about that stuff. Uh, Just as long as I'm healthy, uh, we're good to go. And and some people are just kind of wringing their hands, not knowing what to do. But tonight, as we look at Isaiah, one of the things that's tricky is where, like I said on Sunday, where we are in the Bible is where we're at in life. And Isaiah's got a lot of heavy stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny to me to, uh, to deal with some of these topics Isaiah's talking about in the days we're living. And, um, and yet the thing is, no matter where you are in the Bible, there's great hope. And there's always the answer, ultimately, that will come. So if you feel a little depressed in the first part of our study— don't, don't let that get to you. There's always, it always ends good. All things work together for good for those who, you know, are called, those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. We know that. Um, but, uh, but Isaiah the prophet, man, he's got some heavy words. 
And the reason of his heavy words, let's go ahead and turn there. Isaiah, of course, is where we are in chapter four. Um, chapter three, I should say. And um, chapter three and, uh, and four, we looked at a little bit on Sunday, and we're going to kind of dial those in, uh, tie up some loose ends in chapter three and, and, um, and four, and uh, try to get as far as we can tonight. But here Isaiah the prophet's talking about the calamities that were going to come to Jerusalem and to Judea, the southern two tribes uh, of Israel. The, the ten northern tribes are different, uh, a different discussion, really, I guess, but, um, but he's starting to dial into Jerusalem as we get further down into this uh, narrative of Isaiah. And the problem is the people are exceedingly wicked, and they've blown off God. They've forgotten God. They were very comfortable. They were very wealthy. And now Isaiah is saying, man, it's all going to come down. Um, it's interesting because we Bible prophecy guys are, have, you know, guys that are interested in Bible prophecy, churches kind of seem to have lost a lot of interest in it. But we've been saying things are going to get worse before they get better. So when bad things like this happen, it's not like we're like going, see, we told you guys. We're not really saying that. But what we are saying is uh, this is that which the Bible says would happen, that there'd be pestilence and disease uh, in the last times. And, and men would, you know, run for cover. Uh, this is stuff that uh, you know, is, is not that far-fetched when it comes to what the Bible actually says that the last days would include. So um, could this be the last days? It could be, or it could just be like we said last week, um, some of those birth pains that sort of, you know, ripple through time. Uh, and they get more intense and more frequent the closer it comes to the coming of the Lord. You see, that's the thing. Don't forget, the whole story is, is things get bad. And, um, and then the next thing on the list is the rapture of the church. And we don't know how bad it'll get before we're raptured. We do think, as Bible students, um, we, we see where things are going to get worse uh, um, uh, and, and then ultimately horrible. Uh, and that'll be during the tribulation period, seven years called the tribulation. How bad will it get uh, as, it, as it sneaks up to the seven-year tribulation period? I don't know. We don't know how bad it'll get. But what we do know is we put our trust in the Lord. And, and, um, and it is interesting that Jesus told us that pray that you be counted worthy to escape all of these things. And I, I'm an escapist. I, I love the idea of escaping uh, all the tragedies and trials of the tribulation period. Um, so I'm ready. I'm looking up. I hope you are too. I hope you're looking for the Lord's rapture of his church where we'll take, uh, take to the air and be with him forever. Uh, that's going to be a glorious day. So the timeline of events, things get bad, and they are getting bad, it seems, as you look at the world scene. Um, and then we, we, anytime the rapture of the church can happen, then once the rapture happens, that's when everything really falls apart. Um, I should say that they, they, they pretty much fall apart. And then at the three and a half year midpoint of that seven year tribulation, that's when the great tribulation happens. And by that time, two thirds of the planet will die, uh, the Bible tells us. You know, and, um, you know, you can almost picture that kind of apocalyptic, biblical sort of narrative with some of the headlines we're having right now. I mean, it's not that hard to imagine. Uh, it, it was two months ago, but now you kind of think, wow, this, this really, this biblical narrative really could happen. Um, and, and really, I think, forgive me if I sound insulting, but you have to be kind of thick to read the Bible and not see that the Lord has been generously, lovingly warning us of these days that these times would come. 
and you know, there's gonna be this buying and selling without using cash and you'll have something in your hand or in your forehead where you'll buy and sell. And you know, in Sweden, they're already doing that. More than 20,000 people have been given a chip injected into their hand and they can you know, pay their bus bills, they can go shopping, they can, do, they can buy stuff out of vending machines with their little chip, just scan the chip, you know, and don't have to pass any corona around, uh, you know. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's really something how the, the more history unfolds, the more that uh, cashless society of the book of Revelation um, just makes total sense. You can see how it's going to be brought into being uh, in, in kind of a, a very real way. But all of these things are, you know, coming. Jesus said these things are all coming, but don't let your hearts be troubled. You know, um, so, so what happens here with the book of Isaiah is he's talking about, you know, Jerusalem and, and Judea and the Jews, but his gaze goes past that. And that's something we saw last week as we we're seeing him start to talk about the millennial kingdom. See, after the rapture of the church, then there's the seven-year period called the tribulation. And it's at the end of the seven years where Christ is going to return. See, the rapture is not the second coming. Don't be confused. That's where we, the church, goes to meet the Lord in the air. The second coming of Christ is at the end of the tribulation period. That's, that's um, where he will return with ten thousands of ten thousands of his saints. That's us. We're already with them. Why? Because we were raptured. And also those who died before us, who are believers, will be there with Christ in his return. And that's where the battle of Armageddon, you know, is, is uh, wrapped up. That's where, um, you know, there's an end of everything, end of sin, end of sickness and disease. The Lord's going to come and rule and reign uh, in righteousness. And there's going to be peace unparalleled throughout all of history, uh, there's going to be no greater time than when Christ rules from Jerusalem. And that is going to be a fulfillment of much of what Isaiah is going to be pointing us to tonight. When Christ comes, that millennial kingdom, thousand years of peace and prosperity on the earth. Well, what's going to happen at the end of the thousand years? Well, that's a long story, but I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Ready? At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be loosed once again. He'll be tied up in in an abuso, uh, an abyss, uh, he and his demons. But they'll be loosed at the end of the millennium just for a short season. And we can talk about why that's going to happen. There's reasons. Um, But it'll only be for a very short time. And then ultimately, Michael the archangel will bind up Satan and cast him away forever after that. So there's a short season at the end of the millennial kingdom. Um, but then there's a new heaven that the Lord will make and a new earth, and there we will live happily ever after. Uh, that's the way the story goes. So rapture of the church is the next thing on the list. Bad things happening all the while. Then it gets really bad. Uh, the first three and a half years of the tribulation were with the Lord in heaven. Um, then the last three and a half years, horrible tribulation. They call it the great tribulation, the greatest part of the tribulation. And then the return of Christ, second coming, at the end of that tribulation period, and then the millennial kingdom. Um, That's the way I read the Bible. That's what I see in Scripture. And you'll find people that have varying views on that and different um, opinions on how the order of those events. And we, that's an in-house debate. There are Christian people who have different views on how the Bible explains it. Um, and uh, we've looked at other views and other studies. But just for point of reference, the, 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 the prophet Isaiah is going to point us to that millennial kingdom when Christ comes and rules from Jerusalem. So that's kind of the stage being set. In fact, if we back up a little bit, um, you, you remember that uh, we saw that... Uh, 
you know, things were bad in chapter 2, where um, it says in verse 19, uh, in our last week's study of chapter 2, they shall go into the holes of the rocks, into the caves of the earth, for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth and shake terribly the earth. Um, that, that reminds me of Revelation chapter 6, uh, verses 15 through 17, that talks about men, kings, great men, poor men, slaves, all hiding for their lives. That's when uh, Christ comes, the day of the Lord, and he'll intervene. And uh, it's going to be a bad scene. Well, so Isaiah is talking about his, his people locally, uh, but also he's looking out long-term too. So we'll, we'll show you where that happens. So when the Jews are rebelling against God, he continues about, here's what's going to happen to you guys, the Jews, for their, their uh, horrible behaviors. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, and remember this is during the time of Tiglath-Pileser, the Assyrian, who was, you know, um, besieging Jerusalem. There was horrible things about to happen. Um, Isaiah says in verse 1, chapter 3, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, which is like the Lord of armies, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. Here in verse 1, he's talking about famine, that there would be famine in the land during that time. The, the stay is the storage, the storage of the staff, the storage of the bread, the storage of the water. He's basically men- mentioning famine and drought. Now, what's interesting is in the 13 times in the Old Testament that the Bible speaks of drought and famine, 13 times, famine and drought, all of them are, interestingly, judgments from God in the Old Testament. It wasn't just, um, you know, oh my, it didn't rain this year and our crops didn't grow. I wonder why that happened. In the Old Testament, every time there's famine mentioned of the 13 times, they're all judgments of God coming upon man. And that is interesting because people ask that question, you know, well, what about this coronavirus? Is this the judgment of God? I think we have to be careful because we don't know what he's doing. We, we can't rep- misrepresent the Lord. Um, this could be, we talked about this last week, this could be the Lord just correcting humanity. We, but uh, is he judging us? Well, when that happens, that's going to be the tribulation period, when God's wrath is poured out upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. He could be uh, judging in the sense of correction um, or even, uh, you know, um, uh, redirecting, course correcting, I should say, the Jews. That's what he's trying to do here to get them back on course. Um, so they're going to enter into this famine. And it goes on, verse 2, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the old, the old men, uh, the captain of 50 and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer or, you know, the artist and the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. What is this saying? It says that all there, there's all these mighty men that are warriors and artists and, you know, orators and all these, you know, the, the guys that are the statesmen, the leaders. But he says, I'm going to let little children rule them and let babies be over them. Do you ever get the sense that some of our leaders uh, seem like children, <laughs> act like children? Um, man, if you're watching what's going on in Washington right now, there's some very childish behavior going on. Um, if you're watching this bill that they're trying to pass and stuff they're trying to stick in this bill while people are hurting and needing some real help, 
Um, there's all kinds of uh, foolery going on. And it, it just strikes me as very childish um, sort of behavior. And, and this is what the Lord said would happen to the children of Israel, that your leaders will be like little babies wearing diapers leading you. Uh, even though there's mighty men everywhere and talented people, gifted people, they're not going to be the leaders. It's going to be these, these babies. This, this is quite relevant, I think, for today. We see that happening largely today. And it says in verse 5, And the people shall be oppressed, everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. And the child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, or the old person, and the base against the honorable. You know, basically, there's going to be, um, like, even class warfare, you know, where the rich are beating down the poor, or the poor are trying to beat down the rich. There's going to be people oppressing one by another, every child Everyone by his neighbor, every child behaving himself proudly against the old people. Did you see the news, you know, of these uh, spring break partiers down in, you know, Florida? And, and they were being told, go in, you know, go inside, stay, you know, social distancing. And they were all out there just partying down. Now the news this week is showing how many of them are getting sick. And a large group of them are getting sick, the, the party spring breakers. And, you know, it was, it was, it's sad because they, they're the ones who are infecting some of the older people. The spring breakers may not get this coronavirus in a, you know, the, the COVID-19 virus to a strong dose of it. But for the elderly who they're passing it on to and around, they're the ones who are being put in danger. They could care less about the old people. Um, and, um, and, and there's even some talking about, like, like that headline that I read, you know, if, if old people are going to die, they're going to die. Like that, there's some people actually talking about that. Um, not a great worldview, um, but that's the worldview of Isaiah's time. Same thing that we're seeing here. It's almost like you can see these last days of Isaiah and the Jews in Ju- Jerusalem and, and in Judea. This, it models the last days of the world as well, not just in localized Jerusalem, but really the whole world. We're, we're seeing sort of a ripple of Bible prophecy. You could call it a dual fulfillment of Bible prophecy. That happens a lot in the Bible. Well, it goes on in verse 6. When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. In that day he swear, saying, I will not be a healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people." Um, this is interesting. What's this saying? This is the King James way in, the, in verse 6. When a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father saying, you have clothing, be our ruler. Um, it's almost like if you have nice clothes, you get, you're qualified to be the ruler over the people. And that's another thing we see. Not only are babies ruling, but people that are popular and have the nice clothing. Hey, you got nice clothes, you be our ruler. Like clothing makes the man or makes the woman. Um, that's kind of what's being said here. You've got clothes. You be our ruler. Um, I, I see Hollywood. Have you, isn't it funny how many Hollywood uh, elite think that they're political science experts? Um, isn't it amazing that a lot of Hollywood people think they're spiritual advisors and that they know something about God uh, when they really don't? Um, but they've got nice clothes, <laughs> and they, they, they are being tapped to be our leaders and our spokespeople and stuff like that. And man, you've got fools leading people. Um, that's what this is talking about. Hey, you got clothes, you lead us. But the person with the clothes says, I can't lead. I'm not going to do that. Verse eight, 
For Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. Why are all these things happening? They get this right because their tongue speaks against the Lord and their doings, their actions. Not only their words, but their actions are contrary to God. God forbid that we uh, are a part of that in these last days where we're saying, yeah, we're going to live and we're going to do things opposed to God. We're going to go against his word. We as Christians, man, we got to be those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And uh, we'll be filled if we do that. We'll be empty if we go with the world. Well, that's what these people were doing. They were speaking against the Lord. They were acting out against the Lord to provoke him in his eyes of glory, it says here. Verse 9, the, the show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat of the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked. It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Verse 9 speaks of them flaunting their sin. Do we have people that flaunt sin in our culture? People that celebrate sinfulness? We have parades of the gay pride parades, and we wonder why we're messed up. We, we, in Hollywood, our movies celebrate all kinds of vile, sinful stuff. And, and our world boasts of our, uh, you know, depravity. And we, we're proud of our sexual promiscuity. And, and we laugh at, you know, addiction and sinful stuff that we just kind of mock. And we, we shake our puny little fists at God, wondering why things aren't working out. If God is love, why do bad things happen to good people? Meanwhile, we're a bunch of bad people doing a bunch of bad things, celebrating our badness. And we scratch, scratch our heads wondering why the coronavirus is going rampant. I, I just see kind of a, a, a sort of a dim sort of worldview there. Um, the Lord has been lovingly warning us, run from sin. Uh, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. The Lord lovingly warned us of this very thing. Um, and he says that to the righteous, it'll, it's going to go good with you. It's all going to work out for the righteous but it's going to go really ill, verse 11, for the wicked. That's just the way it's all going to end. If you want to know how the story's going to end, there it is. The righteous, well, Brett, I'm, I'm not very righteous. I still sin. Remember, imputed righteousness, saved by God's grace. If you've accepted Christ and repented of your sins, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're forgiven, and the Lord looks at you, and he deems you righteous. You didn't deserve it. You and I see our own sins on each other, but God hides his face from your sin, but he loves you and he, ro- he robes you in his righteousness. The righteous, those who have accepted Christ and repented of their sins, man, it's going to go well with you. But for the sinner, the, the, the person who's, you know, wicked, it's going to go ill with them and the reward of his hands are going to be given him. In other words, whatever that man sows, that's what they're going to reap. That's what the Bible says. Well, verse 12, chapter 3 goes on. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy path. It's the leaders that are leading them down the wrong path um, that uh, is so bad here that the Lord is pointing it out. Verse 13, the Lord stands up to plead and, and standeth to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people 
and the princes thereof. For ye have eaten up the vineyard, the spoil of the poor is in your houses. What mean ye that beat you, you beat my people to pieces? You grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord God of hosts. Um, man, there was just this inequity of leaders who were evil, and they were beating down the people that were poor and oppressed. God sees that, and he doesn't appreciate it. And he's going to mess up those people who are, are uh, horrifyingly evil. He's going he's to mess them up, it says here. Um, and we'll see how bad. Well, he goes on in verse 16. Moreover, the Lord says, saith, be, uh, because of the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with stretched forth necks, and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, and making a tinkling with their feet. Um, this idea of mincing is um, walking in sort of a frilly, uh, suggestive manner, sort of, um, you know, a feminine sort of lure kind of walking. Uh, that's the idea here of mincing as they go. Um, verse 17, Therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of their head, the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. We talked about this on Sunday, talking about sexually transmitted disease will be given to these women. Uh, they'll have this wound of, of a scab of, of something on their head. Uh, sounds pretty horrifying. Um, and it, um, it says that, uh, verse 18, In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet, and their coals and their round tires like the moon, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers. Apparently it was cool to put a Midas muffler right around your neck, and that was really attractive in those days. No, I don't know. You know, if you want to read, by the way, uh, the New International Version sort of uh, modernizes all these trinkets and things for you, you that are interested in what the ladies were really into wearing in those days. The NIV kind of nails it down. And it has to do with everything from veils to headdresses, um, uh, like the round tires and all this stuff. It's not Goodyear. It's, it's these, these headdresses and veils and ornaments of jewelry and necklaces, bracelets and anklets and stuff like that. These, were, these women were decked out, dressed up to the nines. But we're going to see underneath all that fancy stuff is just a bunch of gross, yucky stuff. <laughs> I, I'll never forget. I won't name any names because uh, some of you might even be watching uh, years ago, years and years ago, probably I'm going to say 30 years ago, um, Tad and I had a, a fun kids camp. We probably had 150 kids at this uh, big camp out. And we were at Camp Bradley uh, on the beach in Bandon, Oregon. Great camp. We had a blast, a bunch of fun. Um, and there was a particular group of girls that were probably six, you know, like they were probably six, seven years old. It was, it was, the, it was the primary camp, you know, first, second, and third grade. But so they were like six, seven-year-old girls. But man, these girls were particularly uh, um, given to makeup and frilly little dresses and fancy little shoes. And it was really funny because they looked like little princesses running around the camp. You know, everybody else had dirt on their faces and were running in the sand and we were just having a blast and all this stuff. But these frilly little girls looked like little petunias walking around. It was really cute, but it was kind of funny because we were doing a lot of dirty stuff, you know, camping and stuff. But as the camp progressed, um, we noticed that these frilly little girls, um, they, there was a particular smell that was coming from them uh, quite, quite powerfully. Um, and it, it was, I don't know how to say this, it, it might just have been one of the most horrifying smells 
that I had ever smelled in my life. And I have a sensitive nose, but this was, this was serious. And it got so bad. And we, we'd ask the girls, girls, you know, did, did, you know, and the, we made sure the counselor, t- to make sure everybody took their baths and got clean and stuff, because we're like, got to do what we got to do. And, you know, the girls, we said, go, go take a bath, a shower or whatever. And the girls, they did, but man, the smell just got worse as the camp went on. And we marveled and wondered, well, finally, we had to figure it out because the, their room, the, the room, that they're, the cabin that they were in there, um, you could smell it before you even walked up to the door. And so we're like, something's got to give. So the counselor went in and started looking around, and um, sure enough, we found what the problem was. You see, on the first day of the camp, we went out to the beach and found a bunch of fun stuff. And, and these girls, they didn't let us know, but they wanted to take some souvenirs from the beach. And they found some dead crabs and some dead starfish. And some, I think they even had a dead fish that they found. And they hid them in their dresses. And they brought the dead fish and stuff and stuck it in their luggage. And their fish was there in the luggage, um, marinating uh, all their clothes in their cabin for quite a few. It was a hot summer that time, too. So, so these dead fish and clams and crabs and stuff... By the time we found it, it was, it was the most horrible, horrible smell you could ever imagine. <laughs> and so when I, when I read this, now, by the way, once we got that all figured out, uh, it was all good. We got the girls all cleaned up, and by the time we turned them back to their parents, um, it, was, it was good. Uh, thank the Lord. But um, these women are not going to work out that good. Uh, there's a smell. They, they've got all this fancy gear, but suddenly it's going to start to stink. Check it out. Um, It says in that day, uh, verse 18, the Lord will take away their bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet, their calls, their round tires, the moon, the chains, the bracelets, the mufflers, the bonnets, the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel, the mantles, the wimples, veils, um, the crisping pins, the glasses, the fine linen, the hoods, and the veils. Again, if you read the NIV, and I forgot to bring my, I was going to bring my NIV uh, snippet so I could read that to you, but I forgot. But you can check that out online or whatever. It's easy. Um, but all those things, uh, and it says in verse 24, and it, and it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. And instead of a girdle, a rip or a rent. Instead of a well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a stomacher, the girding of sackcloth and burning instead of beauty. Man, uh, burning instead of beauty. That reminds me of a wedding that I did when uh, I was having them light the unity candle. You know, the bride was here, the groom was here, the candle was here. And as they were lighting, she leaned down to light and her veil leaned into the flame. And suddenly that, that tool, you know, that stuff that's made the, the veil, it goes up like, like cellophane, like fire. Just her veil caught on fire. And uh, I was kind of like, whoa, and it just lit up, you know. Well, the husband, quick thinking, the uh, husband-to-be, he pats out her face like, boo, 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 and he gets the fire out. And then she looks at me, and she's got this big hole burned in her veil. Like, she looks at me bewildered. And, and uh, fortunately, she was okay, but her veil was gone, pretty much this hole. And so her face was like this. So when it came time to kiss the bride, I didn't have to have her, you know, him lift the veil. He just kissed her through the hole that was burnt in her veil. It was, it was, it was quite a scary deal, and, and, uh, but she was okay. Um, but that's the idea. Uh, burning in, instead of beauty, it's, it's not going to be a good thing that these uh, decked-out women, they're going to end up bald, stinky, 
and even their clothes will be t- turned in from beautiful clothes to sackcloth. Um, instead of a girdle that's holding everything in, pop, it's going to rip, and they're, they're going to be uh, bloated is the idea. Bold, bloated, bald, stinky, um, and it says they'll be wearing sackcloth, which is the cheapest material you can find and not comfortable, and burning instead of beauty. Well, what about the men? Well, it says here, verse 25, thy men shall fall by the sword, and thy mighty in the war. And her gates shall lament and mourn, and she, being desolate, shall sit upon the ground. And in that day, verse 1 of chapter 4, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. What reproach? Their stinky, bald, bloated state. Um, and, and they're asking these guys to take, take them in. One guy for every seven women. That's a tough ratio right there. And, um, and we looked at that on Sunday. These women wanted to be linked to a man only in name, but not in their food they ate and the, uh, the clothes they wore. And we saw a beautiful picture in that. If you missed it on Sunday, uh, that we need to eat his bread, the bread of life, Jesus. And we need to wear his robe, the robe of righteousness. And our sin and our stink will be washed and covered and, and we'll be blessed as he's the bridegroom and we're the bride. We looked at that on Sunday. Um, but it says there's, they're kind of tugging on this guy saying, take away our reproach, all of our you know, problems. And so verse 2 of chapter 4. In that day shall the branch of the Lord, mark that, that's important, the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. There's some who escape. Who would that be? Well, you know, there will be in Isaiah's story a very small remnant of Jews that will not have been involved with all this idolatry and sinful wickedness. And there will be a few that will escape. And, and, and Isaiah's going to talk about them. But you can also see Isaiah's gaze go past into the future where he's talking about a whole other group of people. And I believe he's talking about the Gentile church where the Jews have rejected the Messiah and the Jews... Um, were in their sin. Now, understand, it's not that the Jews are done. God's not done with the Jews. He still has a love and a plan for the Jews. But it was the Gentiles who would eventually be the the escaping. Um, So there would be some who escaped this, and it was those who were declared uh, righteous by this uh, branch of the Lord. Now, now let's talk about this. Those that escape are going to be part of this glorious day. In that day, the branch of the Lord. The word branch there for you Bible students should be sort of a signal because several of the prophets talked about the branch of the Lord and that is none other than the Messiah. Um, um, In fact, um, in Isaiah chapter 11, we read about this same branch, verse one. It says, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Who's Jesse? The father of David. And out of David, there would come another branch eventually, which would be Jesus, the son of David, and he's called a branch, and he will shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel, might and knowledge, and of uh, the fear of the Lord. Um, in Isaiah 11, verse 1, it talks about this same branch. In Jeremiah 23, 5, um, we read about that same branch. Uh, it's, it's, um, um, it's the branch, which is Jesus, none other than Jesus Christ, 
Um, Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days will come, saith the Lord, that I raise the, unto David a righteous branch, capital B, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice on the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved. Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness, or Jehovah Sidkenu. You see, this branch of Jesse is the one that Isaiah is talking about. Uh, Jeremiah, also chapter 33, verse 15 of Jeremiah. And Zechariah the prophet, in Zechariah 3, 8, uh, he's talked about being the branch. This branch is a theme you should be aware of. The branch of David, it starts out a small, weak little branch that's very fragile. And that would be Jesus who became a man and was crucified. But while they tried to destroy that little, um, you know, fertile little plant branch, it would become a mighty, mighty uh, vine that no one could mess with. And ultimately, that would be the vine that Jesus talked about, where he says, I am the vine and you are the branch. Uh, You are the branches. Now, this idea of the branch uh, is so important to understand. This is a theme because it carries on all kinds of pictures. For example, um, uh, the branch is Jesus, this little root of David that springs up and becomes the King of Kings and the Lord our righteousness. Um, If you're a replacement uh, theology uh, proponent, if you believe God's done with the Jews and he's hacked that Jewish vine out, um, you got a problem because the Jews, they're they're the part where that vine comes through. If you, the vine that you and I have been grafted into, Romans chapter 11 tells us that you and I have been grafted into the vine of the Jews. And Jesus was a Jew. You got to remember that. And so when you hack the Jews down and say that God's done with them, then why wouldn't he hack you down either? And how are you going to live if you're not attached to the Jews? We've been grafted into that. It, it's, a, it's a fundamental flaw of replacement theology. If you say God's done with the Jews, then he's done with you too, guaranteed. And it's bad theology to say God is finished with the Jews. Uh, read Romans 9, 10, and 11. It'll tell you exactly the words of why you shouldn't be a replacement theology proponent where God is done with the Jews. Um, and part of that links to the branch of Jesus Christ, the branch, the netzer is the Hebrew word in many of these places. Um, and it's an interesting word uh, that we'll study when we get to Isaiah 11, 1. But none, nonetheless, uh, here in Isaiah, we see this, this branch that's being talked about, the branch of the Lord, verse 2 of chapter 4. Mark that because we're going to cross that a lot as we keep reading through the Bible. But what happens when that branch comes? Beautiful and glorious, the fruit of the earth shall be excellent. We're talking about the millennial kingdom. The branch of the Lord, when he comes, that's what we're talking about, the millennial kingdom. Like in Isaiah 11.1, Jeremiah 23.5, it's all talking about when Christ comes and he's the Lord our righteousness, where he'll rule and reign and make all things right. That's the millennial kingdom. Here's where Isaiah starts to reach into that millennial kingdom Uh, dissertation, and we can learn so much about that. So there's a remnant that escapes, but they're linked to the branch. That's the Gentiles that accepted Christ or Jews. Very, very few Jews have turned to Jesus, but any Jew or Gentile, they're no longer Jew nor Gentile. They're called the church. Uh, We're connected to the branch and we're saved uh, through Jesus Christ. Um, But getting ahead of myself, verse 3, And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remains in Jerusalem shall be called holy. 
Notice how they called him holy. It's not necessarily that he is holy. That's what the church is called. We're called holy, declared righteous. Um, Everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem, verse 3. And verse 4, when the Lord um, shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, and upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day and a shining of flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a defense. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert or covering from the storm and from rain. What's happening? This is where Isaiah goes way past this Jerusalem and Judah and Tiglath-Pilaser and the Assyrians, way past that. Now he's talking about when Christ comes and rules and reigns. And what's, what's one of the characteristics of the millennial kingdom? When you get to the millennial kingdom, do you want to be a tourist or do you want to be a tour guide? Um, it's up to you. Uh, and being a good student of scripture, you'll be able to explain what's happening. Um, like some of you will get there and go, wow, what's going on? Others of you will be like, well, this is the fl- pillar of fire that was very much like the pillar of fire that went with Moses and the children of Israel as they were wandering. They had a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And it seems that in the millennial kingdom, that's going to be reestablished there on the Temple Mount, pillar of cloud by day to represent the glory of the Lord and a pillar of fire by night. And not only will it represent the glory of the Lord, it says here, but it says in in verse 5, it says that glory, the shining of the flaming of fire by night, it shall be a defense or a covering. Um, The Lord will rule and reign from Jerusalem, but there's going to be this burning fire at night, pillar of cloud by day. That's going to be during the millennial kingdom when Christ is ruling from the throne in Jerusalem. Um, and that's just going to be there. This is, uh, this almost sounds Lord of the Rings-ish with pillars of fire burning and kings reigning. It's going to be dramatic. Don't be a tourist. Be a tour guide. Learn about this millennial kingdom. So um, all that to say, this is when Israel will be restored, is when Christ returns, the second coming. When is the second coming of Christ? We talked about after the tribulation, right at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. And that's what Isaiah is talking about. Well, that's, um, that's what we're going to see here uh, happening in a, uh, chapter 4. Chapter 5, quickly, um, we probably won't get this whole chapter tonight, but I do want to start. There's, it starts with a little song, a little ditty at the front end of uh, Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5 verses 1 through 7 is a poem. Now, the, the, the interesting thing is Hebrew poetry oftentimes doesn't use a lot of the poetry um, tools and techniques that we use in modern times. For example, rhyming or assonance or um, alliteration. We don't see a lot of that. We see stuff like, um, you know, acoustic things where there's like um, the Hebrew uh, alphabet letters. A lot of times in Hebrew poetry, we'll use the alphabet. A is for apple, B is for boy, C is for cat. And they'll do these verses with uh, the Hebrew letters. But in this particular song, this one kind of rhymes, if you would, or uses alliteration uh, in, in um, this little song of Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. If you were to read it in Hebrew, you would sense a cadence and rhyme to this. 
um, which is interesting. Happy little song? Well, not really. It's kind of a sad little song. Uh, we're sing- uh, it seems that Isaiah is singing the blues here. Um, you might think it's happy at first, but it's not. Let's take a look at this song here of Isaiah. The song of the vineyard is what it's called. So Isaiah says in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. Now what happened? Well, notice the nature of this. This, this vineyard, you know, uh, husbandman or farmer comes and has a beautiful vineyard. And it says a very fruitful hill, verse 1. Um, so like this is, this is the best possible scenario as far as the land. It's this very fertile soil, beautiful hillside. And what did he do? Man, he did all the work that a, a husbandman or a farmer could do, a vineyard dresser could do. He fenced it, gathered, all, took all the stones and got all the rocks out of the land, um, built a water tower in the middle, made a wine press, and it looked beautiful. It was a perfect vineyard. Everything should have been great except for one thing. When it grew grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. Now, some of you might be thinking, cool, wild grapes, that's great. No, wild grapes are sour and they're horrible and you can't do anything with them. Uh, The wild grapes are the worst. And that's not what you want if you're a a vineyard keeper. You don't want wild grapes. And so so this is the little little song. So this little vineyard guy went out, planted a vineyard, grew wild grapes. Then listen what happens. Verse 3, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray, betwixt um, me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard? He's asking the question, what, what could this vineyard, what could we have done to keep these wild grapes from growing and souring and ruining the vineyard? Um, what could we have done that I had not done in it? Wherefore, When I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes, poor, unacceptable grapes. Verse 5, And now go, uh, go to, I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, the fence, and and it shall be eaten up, and break down the walls thereof, and it shall be trodden down. I will lay it to waste, and it shall not be pruned nor digged, and there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Those last words, by the way, in verse seven, in the Hebrew text rhyme, but that basically the word for judgment is justice. The Lord looked for justice. The second word, oppression, which means, um, you know, the bloodshed. Um, instead, of, instead of justice, there was bloodshed. And then for righteousness, there was a cry or distress. So when the Lord looked to Israel, that should have been, the Lord says, you were set up, Israel. You were set up for perfect I gave you a land flowing with milk and honey. I delivered you from Egypt. I I set you up for total success. 
but you produced sour grapes and, and wild grapes. So what am I going to do? I'm going to lift the farmer says, I'm going to stop working in the vineyard and the walls will be torn down. Thorns will grow up. It's going to become this barren sort of wasteland. Why? Because they were being horrible to the poor. They were sinning and worshiping idols. And the Lord uses this little song of Isaiah to explain the situation. You see, Isaiah's prophecy matches the other prophecies of the Bible, like Ezekiel. When the book of Ezekiel teaches, we'll get there when we get to Ezekiel's prophecies about how the Lord would scatter the Jews in Jerusalem and Israel and the land of Israel would become desolate. And God would let thorns grow there. And and that's what happened. You know, Israel was a total desolation. You know, it used to be called the land flowing with milk and honey. But by the time the Jews were driven out in AD 70 by the Romans, from that point on, it just became a place of total desolation. And it was that way for almost 2,000 years. Um, you know, the Turks did some stuff. You know, the Arab Muslims came through and treated the land horribly. And one of the things they did is one of the, uh, you know, uh, Turkish leaders taxed everybody uh, of how many trees they had on their land. And if you had a tree, you were taxed according to your tree. Um, and there's a thing about taxes. And if you tax the person who's being produ- productive, well, they start to not be productive. <laughs> there's kind of an interesting thing there. So what happened? Everybody cut down the trees in Israel. So bad was it that the the taxation on the trees, everybody cut down trees and it actually changed the climate of Israel for hundreds of years. Um, And it became very barren and desolate. Mark Twain spent a year in Israel uh, in his lifetime. And it's an interesting thing. You can look online at Mark Twain's visit to Israel. But the thing that he marvels at the most is how desolate the land of Israel is. He says you couldn't find a green plant for miles. Um, There was no farms. He said once in a while you'll see a Bedouin, but even they were hard to find in the land of Israel. And and he he spent a year just traveling around the desolation of Israel. It wouldn't be really until, um, you know, the 1800s when um, the, the Zionist movement happened and the Jews started moving back to the land because they were being... Uh, you know, killed in the other parts of the world, anti-Semitism. So the Zionists, the Jews said, we got to get back to our own land because we're going to persecute it all over the world. Theodore Herzl and, um, you know, others uh, came back to Israel and they bought land from the various uh, Muslims and groups that were there. The Jews bought land. You know, people act like the Jews came and attacked everybody and got that land. Nope. Much of the land that they have, they purchased with money, good money. How many of us can say we purchased our land from the Indians or whatever? Um, uh, But the Jews, they were the one group that much of their land was purchased with money. And and then the land started to come back to life as as the Jews started to farm. And today... Israel is one of the top fruit and vegetable producers uh, for much of the world. Uh, much of Europe gets fruits and vegetables from this beautiful, glorious land. And what, what we're seeing is not only Isaiah's part of this song where God would make their vineyard desolate and destroyed, but then Ezekiel talks about how he would, you know, remember the valley of dry bones? There was much of deadness there. And eventually the bones started clattering and, you know, the knee bone was connected to the thigh bone and all that stuff. And eventually all these little skeletons came up and then the Lord would breathe life into those dry, dry bones. And uh, the Lord would gather his people back into Israel and the land would come alive again. Well, that's happened before our very eyes in our lifetimes. 
we've seen Israel come to life. And, and, and that's part of the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Bible, which also tells us we're living in the last days. Do you see that Isaiah and Ezekiel and these prophecies, they all go hand in hand. This little song that we just read is the part of God saying, okay, Israel, you want to do your own thing? I'm going to lift my hands of protection from off. It's not that God destroyed them. He just lifted his hands of, because they didn't want anything to do with God. God's a perfect gentleman. He won't force his protection upon you. But if you want to do your own thing, the Lord will say, remember Romans chapter one, the people that were neither thankful or giving glory to God did their own things and were wise in their own eyes and, you know, practiced homosexuality and did a bunch of sinful, wicked stuff, violence and all this stuff. And the Lord says, I'm going to give you over to your own enticements and lusts. Give you over, give you over. He says that over and over again. Let them have what they want. It's not that God's going to smash them. He's going to lift his hand of blessing and protection because people want to do their own thing. That's what the Jews did. That's what we often do culturally. Man, we need the Lord. We need the Lord to be our God, our ruler. We need to follow his plan, his rule. I'm sort of reminded of the promises that God made to the Jews. You know, I mean, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, let me just remind you stuff we studied a long time ago in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7, listen to this as I read. It says, For the Lord thy God shall bring you into the good land. Just like the vineyard poem we just read in Isaiah, good land. Um, A land that has brooks of water, fountains and depths of springs out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vine trees and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Man, that sounds great. That's where God was bringing them, Israel. Um, But he says, beware, verse 11 of Deuteronomy 8, that thou forget not the Lord thy God. In other words, I'm setting you up for success. Go into the land flowing with milk and honey, but don't forget God in not keeping his commandments. Don't forget to keep his judgments, his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest that when you eat and you're full of good food and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, all that thou hast is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee out forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. And then in verse 17 and 18, it says, and, and thou say in thy heart, my power and my might hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for he is the one that gave you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant with Uh, which he swore unto thy fathers as it is to this day. What the Jews did is they were blessed out of their minds, living in this beautiful place, a land flowing with milk and honey. And the Lord subdued their enemies during the reign of Solomon. Man, it was like the roaring 20s, you know, kind of like we were a couple weeks ago. And then suddenly it all kind of falls apart and they think, what's going on? And they forgot the Lord their God. And they thought their wealth and their prosperity was because of their own doing and their own might. And the Lord says, you guys are going to see the other side of that. You see, all this to say, it gives me a couple thoughts. First, as we close tonight, first I think of, you know, the Jews and their plight and how faithful God was to his word. He said, if you don't want me, I'll lift my hand of blessing. And he did. And for 2,000 years, they were scattered. It's called the diaspora. And the Jews were treated horribly. And it's been a bad season for them. But God faithfully is regathering his people, the Jews. And we see, we see that. It's a great prophecy of the Bible. It's actually happening right now. And he's faithful in all that. 
with his church, we see sort of parallel things where the church of Jesus Christ in America, a lot of us think we've gained our own wealth or we're in control of our lives. If there's one thing coronavirus has done is remind us that we're not in control and that we're much more fragile and frail than we'd like to think we are. And if you think you're a self-made man, uh, what's your 401k looking like right now? And, and, you know, do we really want to put all our trust in that or in our finances or the ability to have a job or have employees or have people come to work? Like, these are interesting times that I think a lot of people feel very vulnerable. And one of the things you and I can do is to respond to this scripture tonight by saying, like in Deuteronomy, don't forget the Lord. Um, it's the Lord that is the one who sustains us. He's the one that gives us life and breath. He's the one that we can put our trust in. And the Bible says he will never let the righteous fall. The righteous, those that are the, the, the people of God, the Lord's got us. And no one can pluck us out of his hand. And so while there's kind of horrifying things going on around the world today with, you know, in Italy, all the death, and New York is now, you know, reaching those same levels of death as some of the things we're start with that we saw last week in Italy. Um, you know, Seattle is, is death. There's a lot of death. Um, we're seeing kind of crazy times. But rather than freaking out, one of the things we do is remember the Lord. Remember that he never lets the righteous fall. Remember that he has a plan and a purpose. And while things seem to be going badly, God is still in control. And ultimately, what we look for and what we rejoice about is the second coming of Christ when he rules and reigns on this earth. I look forward to the rapture of the church, too. Because, man, once we're taken up to be with the Lord, it's all good from there. But that's kind of a selfish thing. Uh, the rapture is something I selfishly look forward to. But there's a lot of people still that don't know Jesus. There's a lot of people that will not be raptured, and they'll be left behind to deal with the great tribulation. That breaks my heart. So what do we do? In the meantime, until the rapture of the church, we should be busy about pointing people to Jesus Christ, that they too can be called the righteous, that they too will one day be a part of what God's plan is for this earth and be on the right side of this thing when Christ comes and rules and reigns from Jerusalem. So this is what the Lord's doing. The stuff we're seeing today should not surprise the Bible student one tiny little bit. This should just be like, yep, this is what the Bible says. And yep, God's got us and we're okay. And the Lord's got us. We can be rejoicing and be happy. Sure. Should we comply with the laws? Yes. Even tonight, I've got like five people here doing this whole thing with me. Uh, and we all maintained a very good six foot distance of social distancing. And we even have, a, um, we even instituted a social distancing officer to make sure none of us forgot. And we're all watching. Like it, it's, it's really, we're, we're doing exactly what the state of Oregon has asked us to do. And, um, you know, we've locked down the building and no one's here. Uh, and uh, we're complying. And, and we're glad to do that, to try to keep us healthy and safe and nobody gets sick. We want to be a part of that answer, not a part of the problem. But ultimately, you and I as Christians, we know that Jesus is still the one that we're looking for. We know that these are just signs of the times. We can put our trust in the Lord and not freak out. Man, my prayer is that each one of you, as you guys take in the truth of the word tonight, that that just gives a calming to your soul. God's in control. He's not freaking out. He's not, what are we going to do? Uh, that's what the world's doing right now. Um, and uh, uh, we as Christians can say, how can we help? What can we do? Um, but we also know the answer is ultimately Christ.
So that's, that's our study for tonight. We'll stop there at the end of that because we've got an interesting section in chapter 5 that is um, worthy of uh, taking some time and careful consideration. I don't want to race through the rest of chapter 5, so we'll pick that up next time. Would you pray with me? Let's all bow our heads together. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. It does bring us all the answers of life, all the things that we need to, to know it's right here in the, in the book that you've given to us, Lord, how faithful your word is, true and living and powerful it is, Lord. We're thankful that we can have that quiet confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. Lord, for the folks that are at home and just taking this Bible study in, I pray that your word would be just soothing to their soul and just encouragement to their families. Lord, bless all the Athey Creekers out there. Lord, for those that maybe are just tuning in for the first time tonight or Sunday, I pray that you'd draw more and more people to yourself, that more and more people would love you, believe, accept, be saved. Um, Lord, bless those that are just looking for answers. Give them. May they, may they see that you are the answer, Lord. So bless my brothers and sisters tonight as we go our way and do our thing this Wednesday night. Lord, be with them. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To take advantage of our media ministry, we encourage you to visit us anytime at athecreek.com, where we have all of Pastor Brett's Bible studies available as a free download.